0: Welcome to Occult of Personality, esoteric podcast extraordinaire. I'm your host, Greg Kaminsky, and Billy Hepper is your co-host. Now, in episode number 218, we're joined by witch, tarot reader, teacher, and author Sabrina M. Scott for a wonderful interview about her book, Witch Body, which was an entree into an extraordinary conversation about witchcraft, magic, philosophy, and the sacred. You can find Sabrina on Instagram at Sabrina M. Scott and her website, sabrinamscott.com. I loved Sabrina's book, Witch Body, because it embodies a holistic approach to spirituality and magic. Weaving strands of intuition, ancient lore, self-empowerment, learning, philosophy, and pure insight to create a wonderful book that looks and feels like a homemade zine from the 1980s. I found speaking with Sabrina to be enchanting because she's brilliant, knows the subject intimately, has great energy, and is able to communicate the subtleties of mysticism and magic with ease. Towards the end of the public section of the interview, we also discussed her excellent new book, Curse and Cure. A Cult of Personality podcast is made possible by you, the listeners. And by the subscribers to ChamberofReflection.com, our membership website, who aid us in the cause of informed, authentic, and accessible interviews about Western esotericism, thank you again. Because of your support, we're able to bring you recordings of this caliber and many more to come. The intro music is Awakening by Paul Avgerinos. And the outro music is The Sadness of the Witch by Falling You. Sabrina Scott, I want to welcome you to Occult of Personality Podcast. It's really great to speak with you. I've been looking forward to this chat for quite a while now, years in fact. So I appreciate your patience and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is honestly all mine. It's a huge honor to be here. So thank you for sharing space with me.
0: Originally, I had only really known you from your book, Witch Body, which I think just calling it a book is not doing it justice because it's just, it's really so much more than just a a typical book. When we think of a, a book, it's uh I mean it just radiates the love and care and type of like artisan handcrafting type of quality to it um just the the way that it's even printed and the the paper the 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 non uh you know the sort of handwritten sort of font it's just beautiful so um and and really what it contains is even more beautiful i think and uh so we'll, we'll get to that but i guess where i'd like that's to begin so nice.
1: is by the way i just want to acknowledge thank you so much that's that's so sweet i really appreciate you saying that as i put my heart and soul into that thing so
0: oh you can tell yeah. absolutely yeah. it's totally evident and um i enjoyed it i read it well now it's probably three times and i enjoyed it every single one and every time i read it i read it from cover to cover like in one sitting because there was no reason not to
1: (laughs) thank you that's that's so nice to hear like i I feel like that's kind of its most ideal way of being definitely if people have the time and and energy so thank you i'm so honored
0: so i guess what i'd like to begin is just Asking you if you could just tell our audience a little bit about who you are and and how you known this. I I think most of your life, your entire life.
1: Mm. Yeah. So, how to describe myself? So, I guess I've been doing this whole witchy thing for like more than twenty years. I grew up in this interesting space called spiritualism. So, for anyone who doesn't know what spiritualism is, if there's any listeners who are like, what is that? It is something that considers itself a religion, a science and a philosophy that was founded in the 1850s in upstate New York, basically involves talking with dead people chatting with spirits doing energy healing message services seances, all that type of stuff. So I grew up with that before I hit the double digits as kind of my like baseline for reality. And so that created a very easy pathway for me into witchcraft and magic, because of course, as we know, witchcraft and magic is all about moving energy around and facilitating change via doing that. And so spiritualism gave me this really beautiful introduction to chatting with spirits, noticing what they had to say, and kind of channeling that energy in a variety of ways. And so that's kind of my roots. That's where I come from. But I would say now, um, while that is a part of my practice, I'm just more of a witchy person, not Wiccan, but, you know, typical urban magic person. (laughs) That's the (laughs) short version. (laughs) if that makes sense to people hopefully it does i think so thank you yeah so that's my background in terms of practice but otherwise i'm an artist writer spiritual teacher i guess which is uh the position of spiritual leadership i think is something i kind of came into a little bit by accident just kind of because people wanted me to occupy that and it's been a beautiful kind of fun journey to learn with people and to teach this type of stuff
0: could you say a little bit also about your I guess, education. and
1: Oh, yeah. I guess that's Because
0: I I know maybe that's not as relevant to your practice or spirituality, but I feel like it definitely informs where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that, actually. So I've got a really random educational journey, but to me, it all kind of merges together in a way that makes sense. So my undergrad is in illustration with minors in printmaking, which is where the book art stuff comes in. Um, What else? Media studies. So that's also kind of where an awareness of form and content and all of that comes in. And then the other minor was in communication design. So I designed which body front to from cover to cover. I dealt with all of that myself. So a lot of that's the skills that I built during that part of my many degrees, that's where that comes from, that artistic awareness. And then I got a master's in environmental studies, which is where I did a lot of the, I guess, kind of end cohesive work for which body, because what that masters of environmental studies enabled me to do was to find a lot of the language philosophically to describe what I've believed forever and what I have felt to be true in my body forever, like just as a human in the world, engaging with plants and wind and animals and sidewalks and dandelions and trash and all of that. You know, I think there's things that we know to be true as we engage with them as energetic beings, but doing that master's of environmental studies and reading a lot of environmental philosophy, other types of philosophy really gave me the toolkit of amazing words to describe this belief system that I've always had and enabled me to really describe it in a bit of a snappy way. (laughs) yeah so That's that was really fun and now i'm doing a phd in the philosophy of science or which is a more new thing but so i'm in that degree i'm talking about and there'll be a book that comes from this i'm sure at some point so i'm talking about witchcraft as a alternative way of healing from trauma actually awesome so that should be fun whenever that book comes out it'll be interesting
0: <laughs> yeah i imagine it for sure
1: Yeah, so that's my educational background. But of course, I've also read all those typical witchcraft history texts, and I'm pretty grounded in all of that type of stuff. But I really wanted to focus instead on the environmental philosophy and kind of going back to those those building blocks of ontology. Like Fundamentally, what is reality? What do we believe exists? What do we feel exists based on our experiences, which is really what that ontological exploration is all about. And I feel like part of the reason why I really wanted to create that book, which body to describe my ontologies, I feel like ontology is something that's left out of so many conversations about magic. Like most people don't really take the time to describe or think about, like, what do they believe the world even is? What do they believe in? What's their stance on spirits? What do they think the agency of objects actually is? As as witchy magical people, like we're working with objects all the time, but often not naming what do we believe these objects are like on an ontological level and what can they do energetically, magically, all of that, a lot of it is kind of like implied in this like fog <laughs> that a lot of people don't actually take the time to figure out, think about, talk about in an in-depth way. And so what I was hoping that witch body would do would be to kind of create a, a bloom space, I suppose, like this kind of seed that hopefully we get in people's brains and then folks would think about, oh yeah, I am working with objects to do magic. Why? What does that mean? What, what does that mean that I believe? If that makes sense. So that kind of baseline of like the building blocks of reality, to me, that is where there's so much beauty and there's just so much potential and possibility. And I think it's so relevant to this thing called magic that we're all passionate about and interested in and practice
0: yeah i 100 percent agree and just if i could quickly follow up i i feel like you're exactly correct and you said it so eloquently if most people or everyone really has a view but most people's view is completely unexamined and unarticulated and and those that do have a view maybe like you have somehow discovered it through intense investigation and contemplation others have come to it through what i would call authentic spiritual traditions that have a history of expounding a particular view of reality as a beginning of the path mm-hmm. um, but you're right most mag- magicians most occultists most people in involved in esoterics they, they have a view, they just don't really understand what it is and not understanding it is a problem because, well, then you, if you don't understand your view, you can't understand your destination at all, even Absolutely. if you think you can.
1: I agree with that completely. And I also feel like they can't understand like the journey either. Yeah. It's like if they don't understand or don't take the time to think about, okay, what am I actually doing when I'm working with candles, incense, plants? resins whatever these objects happen to be if people don't take the time to think about why am I working with these beings because I consider them beings in the book even if it's not like a living breathing thing like I consider like a lighter to be a being as you guys know um like if people aren't thinking about okay like why am I doing this other than just the book told me to and it gets this result, and I experience that. Like, if people don't think about why is that energetically, like what are the mechanics of what's going on there? And then what do the mechanics then teach us about ontology? Like for me, that is all just the soup of the beauty of all of this stuff. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like 100%. I just I love that. I love that. And I think you're right. Like a lot of people don't want to dive into that for probably a variety of reasons. Like it is hard. <laughs> It is hard and uncomfortable often for people to consider, okay, what do I believe reality to be?" But it's to me, it's quite interesting when magical folks don't consider that because magic is really we're in the business of co-creating reality all the time, intentionally, which obviously we're all doing all the time anyway. But with magic, there is an additional intentionality kind of layered onto that always already collaborating to create type of thing.
0: It requires deep contemplation.
1: I think what's interesting about magic too is I do believe it can teach that ontology of like always already collaborating. I think magic can really make that visible to people for whom it's not already visible. And I think that's one of my main things with the book that I really wanted to underscore for folks, like if you don't feel this you can by engaging with this fun thing called magic. Yeah,
2: yeah, I really like that, Sabrina. First of all, welcome to the show. It's great Thank to you. finally uh, be able to sit down and talk with you. I'm so Thank happy for that. Thank you, um, you. Just to echo what what Greg was saying, you know, this this book, Witch Body, is incredible. I love that you wrote, illustrated it, published it all yourself. It really reminded me, kind of aesthetically, of some of the sort of DIY underground like zines and graphic novels that I grew up with. Um, I'm a child of the 90s and 80s. So
1: I love that. Yeah,
2: the format looked like really, really familiar to me. It was was really cool. So um, kudos to you for that. Um, I just wanted to highlight there was a really cool quote from the beginning of your book that I just wanted to read if I may. And it says, uh, witchcraft knowledge is body knowledge. It is thinking with a body experimenting with a body feeling with a body learning with a body witchcraft is the act of saying hello speaking back to ones who speak with us and i really like this idea of the magical body and this sort of question of what happens when bodies interact and extend into each other that seems to to run all throughout your book could you maybe delve into that just a little bit more for us and how that kind of relates back to magic for you
1: oh man i I feel like i don't even know where to begin with that because that's like to me that is kind of the fundamental question of all of this, in a way, so you've really picked kind of the perfect quote, to be honest. <laughs> so thank you uh, for pointing out that that perfect, I don't know, like it really encapsulates like I think the main argument of the book, really, what you've just shared. So thank you for that. Hmm. I feel like one of the cool things about witchcraft is it reminds us and can reveal to us that, our human body is always an instrument. It measures, it feels, it assesses. And I think often we're used to kind of having these instruments of measurement outside of the body, whether that's like a thermometer or a compass or whatever. But we, one of the beautiful things I think about working with magic is that, that it's a reminder and an opportunity to step into our own physical bodies in a deeper way. And I think the way that I talk about this in the book because I call it a reinvigorated presence. As I think sometimes people have this idea, and you hear a lot about magic as re-enchanting the world, but Mm -hmm. I actually fundamentally disagree with that whole concept of like re-enchanting the world. Like for me, the world is already, always already enchanted. It's just, do we choose to tap into that or not? And I think when we are working with our body as that instrument of sensing, then we can kind of step into that reinvigorated presence to just be so much more fully present where we are without even really needing to go anywhere. Like we don't need to go on vacation anywhere. We don't need to go into like a witchy retreat in the woods. We can do that reinvigorated presence thing in our urban bedroom by expanding our ability to take in that sensory kind of spiritual, if you wanna call it that, information and data that's always already kind of swirling around. And so that that sensing and that feeling with the body, as you've mentioned, like to me, that is always a collaborative experience. Because we're never alone really. Like I'm wearing a sweater right now, I've got a pillow behind me. I drank some coffee earlier. All of that ultimately is collaboration. And right. so there's this extension of beings into each other that's happening all the time. And I think what's interesting about magic as a site of exploration, both like physical exploration and thought exploration is it's, it's such an intentional coming together of the human, let's say, and then the non-human, even though we're always already collaborating all the time. So I'm sure this bed that I'm sitting in is going to, you know, make its presence known on my body over time, like in terms of my posture, how I sit, like, am I going to be a little bit hunched over because I'm not really sitting up straight? Like probably. And so that is just one example of the ways that these objects that we're surrounded with all the time are kind of imprinting themselves into our bodies in these ways that are often invisible to us because they're so slow or delicate or any of that. And so that's just one mundane example, but obviously with magic, It's a little bit more intentional, this kind of merging of beings, merging of energies, merging of bodies, because it is ultimately an intentional energetic collaboration between us, the magical human, and then whatever else we're kind of welcoming into that collaborative experience. But I think we're always already collaborating. It's just how much attention do we choose to pay to that or not is is really Mm -hmm. the question. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I totally agree with that and it actually lines up with a lot of i guess contemplative traditions um, that talk about you know how we need to become more present within our bodies and, and all that type of thing so that really lines up for me thank you really love that uh
0: i especially appreciated also in the book the way that you point out how sort of what we love what we pay attention to sort of like bringing our attention to things is sort of the way that we unveil our like the the mundaneness from our eyes and see that everything is already enchanted like I completely agree with you and you know it's 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 really interesting like reading the book talking with you hearing this it's striking to me the way that the for you magic is something like inherently like true and discoverable for yourself versus like somebody teaching it to me from a book or you know from someone else's experience and it really is like immediate apparent like a visceral it's not even like something i'm hearing like i feel it in my body like the when you talk about it that way because i know from my own experience what you're saying is completely 100 percent true and um i think what i what i wanted to ask you about is you talk about the way like we're co-creating with all the other beings and and the way that beingness can merge the way i think i've heard it expressed is that it's like um interpenetrating and mutually non-obstructing and to me this is one of the keys in sort of being able to recognize that we are distinct beings and yet we exist within this sort of wholeness that is indescribable and and I feel like your work also echoes that immensely and I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. It's such a philosophical question. I love it. And I think part of the reason why I dove down into like the depths of philosophy to describe this thing called magic is because there's a lot of philosophers that are grappling with this same question, even though they're not really magical people whatsoever, and so different people are going to describe it in different ways. But the ones that have really resonated with me are Bruno Latour, as he talks about actor network theory. And I kind of stole a lot of the terminology in my book from him. I cited him, obviously, so it's all good. But he, the way that he talks about it, I find so beautiful. So he considers everything to be an actor. Whether that is us as a human or the cat that's sitting next to me or my water bottle that's sitting next to me, like they're all equally actants in the world. And so his description of actant, that word, it means that you're capable of influencing other beings. But of course, is there anything that really is not capable of influencing other beings? Like, I don't think so. I think everything is going to influence everything else. And then, of course, the question of scale and the the heaviness of that impact of course is another another question so perhaps everything does not affect everything else on an equal level but i love this idea that everything is kind of always acting on everything else around it and so i love that he sees it as this kind of network of actants that is always everywhere another theorist who's got interesting terminology is karen barad and she's more of a physicist so she talks about entanglement And so I really love that word because it talks about that kind of messiness that the word network might not fully um, like inherently invite us to to imagine like an entanglement to me does show that it is a bit messy. Like it is it is sometimes hard to see like where are those lines of influence and what influence is coming from where. But I think one of the beautiful things about magic is it actually does ask us to consider what is coming from where when we're troubleshooting the rituals that we're doing. it's like, okay, I'm working with this particular herb or I'm working with this particular candle to troubleshoot in that experimental type of way. Okay, this was more effective when I did it this way. It was less effective when I worked with this particular plant. Okay, cool. And then we can see what beings, what actants are asserting what, how much influence where in our magical workings, which I find like so beautiful and interesting and why I find magic to be such a experimental process Mm -hmm. inherently, at least in the way that that I conceive of it for myself. I know not, not everyone would probably agree with that, but for me, that's where I'm at. Thank
2: you. Sabrina, I'm curious, could you share a little bit about your own magical practice? Like, would you consider yourself a solo practitioner? Do you belong to any sort of a, a group that you can share about? Tell us a little bit more
1: about that. Oh man. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? So I'm sure you guys have heard that phrase from some people that you can't be a witch alone. <laughs> mm. And so it's funny because I agree with that for reasons that probably make sense if people have read my book. Um, so I don't, But people who say that phrase usually mean it to say that you can't be a solo practitioner. like You can't be a solo witch. You need to be a witch in a group. But I think we're, all, we're always already a witch in a group because <laughs> I am welcoming those other beings, those other bodies into what I consider my practice to be. So while I am a solitary practitioner in that typical sense that people speak of it, I don't really consider myself solitary because I work with saints, I work with various ancestral spirits, I work with various land spirits, I work with various animal spirits, I work with various plants, candles, kind of physical, tangible tools in that way as well. So. While I might be the only living human doing the practice where, where and when and how I'm doing it, I do consider myself to be engaged in a larger community of, of beings within that. So I don't really consider myself solitary in that way, even though someone looking in from the outside might think that I am. <laughs> so hopefully that makes sense. But I've got a very close working relationship with a few different saints, even though I'm not Christian, which is pretty interesting. Um my practice is very intuitive. It's very impulsive. I would say so. I'm not someone who, like, religiously will practice at particular times. Like the exception for that for me would be like my birthday and Halloween, and New Year's. Those are my three kind of big times. And I do care about the equinoxes and the solstices. Uh, but otherwise, I would say I'm someone whose magic is very driven by intuition and impulse like kind of as I feel inspired I just kind of like ride that energetic wave and it's often very I'll do a very big ritual just impulsively let's say just because I'm feeling that the energy is is right and that's kind of what I'm hearing from my spirit team this is the right time and place to do a particular set of things so I do create space for that that creativity and flow as opposed to let's say like a rigidity Uh, which, and I don't judge folks who have a rigid practice. I think that's completely legitimate. And I think everyone's different. Everyone's going to feel creatively inspired in different contexts. So I think that's totally cool. Um, But for me, it is very spirit-based, which probably is not surprising due to my background in mediumship and spiritualism and all of that. So for me, there is a lot of direct contact um, and direct conversation with those spiritual beings that I'm collaborating with, whether that's Ancestor spirits or other spirit guides that have kind of entered into my sphere along the journey, even though they're not related to me in any way, as well as those saints and other animal spirits that I've kind of built up in my team over time. So it's it's very impulsive, kind of intuitive, like more folksy, low magic right. type of practice, I would say. Like I'm not a high magic person. I don't do the, like, the planetary hour thing. I don't do any math. <laughs> no no charts no numbers like I'm much more like close to the ground like ear to the ground type of practitioner where it comes from need it comes from feeling it comes from being overcome with emotion with energy with just that intuitive knowing that like okay now is the right time and I need to do a b c d and oftentimes like the ritual that I'll do will only really fully make sense afterwards so I'll just fully follow my intuition more often than not, which I know is not a very useful thing to say on a podcast interview because a lot of people listening will probably be like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> like, what does that mean on the ground? But it really just does mean like not giving into any kind of uh, insecurity or fear of being wrong, uh, which I think like I teach as well. So I have a lot of students um, that I teach this whole magical thing to. And one of the things I hear constantly is like a fear like a fear of being wrong, a fear of messing up, mm-hmm. uh, insecurity, you know, that what they're picking up on intuitively is not correct or whatever. And that's a whole other conversation. But my practice is very much just like, like that flow, that trust, and just like riding the wave until it's done being written, basically. Right. So it's, it's very, yeah, mediumistic, I would say, way of practicing. very intuitive, awesome. Yeah.
2: That was a great answer by the way. It managed to like knock out two two more of my questions that I was going to oh, ask really? I was going to ask you about kind of like your the calendar year for you like if you had certain feast days and I was also going to ask you about spirits and saints and all that good stuff so oh, thank you for that yeah. um just kind of a follow up question did you have i guess like a mentor a teacher anyone who kind of introduced you into this witchy stuff or are you mainly self taught
1: so I believe the spirits taught me hmm. <laughs> Like, I consider myself to be spirit initiated, uh, which I know is like a controversial topic. Um, like, I don't believe that humans need to initiate other humans uh, in everything. Like, I think obviously for some traditions, absolutely, that's kind of how that lineage would work. Um, totally respect that. But for me, with what I do, um, since I am not practicing within any particular like lineage tradition, other than, I guess, my own heritage, like I am a seventh generation medium. So there is that. Um, but I consider my like i consider the spirits to have taught me to be honest with you like i think it's just through doing the things like getting my hands dirty getting into it like i've read a shit ton of books obviously but i really do believe that like just getting your hands dirty getting into the practice like talking to the spirits talking to the saints talking to whatever beings talking to the ancestors talking to the earth like just connecting with all of that like for me that's my main teacher in this whole process like i I definitely have not had like a human mentor in that sense. Um, It's at least not anyone that's alive. It's just been really getting my hands dirty and talking to the spirits and listening and taking that seriously. That's great.
0: Anathema Publishing Limited. Quality occult books and contemporary esoterica. Established in 2011, Anathema Publishing aims to provide superior literature in content and form by creating a Trinosophic relationship in Troth and gabo between publisher, author, and reader. Anathema Publishing produces refined books for the true bibliophile on topics ranging from Gnosticism, traditional craft, alchemy, Hermeticism, witchcraft, to Luciferian Theosophy. www.anathemapublishing.com. Yeah, I have a, a question. I think you're really the perfect person to answer this. And uh you talked about beingness, you talked about embodiment, you've talked about intuition and feeling, and these things are really crucial but they're often not emphasized or people don't want to go that way or in in many senses in western esotericism there's kind of like a gnostic dualism of just denial of the body or spirit trapped in matter i just want to escape the the problem is the world not me um but your your whole approach is like the complete opposite it's like embodiment like through the like wisdom is gained through the body uh, you, you like feeling is crucial intuition like all these things you talk about and you you even say like you know this might be controversial or people might not understand but but i understand and i agree with you a hundred percent i'm just wondering if you can talk about the relationship between these things and and, and how, like, you can't really even get a handle on, on the context of beingness without embodiment.
1: Yes, I agree with you so much with that. Thank you for pointing that out. Like I feel like there is this huge contrast in spirituality between, like, a world rejecting philosophy and then a world embracing philosophy and I feel like the way that I see things is very much a world embracing like being present in the body apparently my cat agrees <laughs> <laughs> like that very embodied way of coming to know because I think the body is like a beautiful thing and if we're going to be feeling energy we can't really feel energy with our, our minds like I guess we can but like it, it's limited it's only one way of encountering energies. Obviously, there's claircognizance. So I guess that would be feeling an energy with the mind, if we're going to be really technical about it. But that's only one, one layer. And so to my mindset is like, why are we going to reject all of this cool stuff? But to complicate it a little bit, one of the things I have to kind of work through a lot with my students is discerning what's intuition. And what's just like anxiety, mm-hmm. <sighs> like really slowing down enough to decode those sensations that the body is taking in. And so one of the big phrases I learned growing up in spiritualism is that there's no wrong impressions. There's only wrong interpretations.
0: That makes sense.
1: And so it's like, how are we you know, taking in and interpreting the spiritual energetic information that the body is giving us. And so I think a lot of the time, like newer students, let's say, are going to be thinking that like, oh my God, everything is intuition, but it could just be a paranoia or a worry or just their own particular neurotic, whatever. And so the way that I kind of teach students to to think about this is, and I'm sure you guys have gone through the same process yourself, like as people who care about this type of work, that intuition feels very different from anxiety. Like it lives somewhere very different in the body. And so I think that's such an important skill for anyone who is engaged in magic in any type of esoteric stuff and any type of energy work, any type of spirituality, to really be able to tease apart all of these various sensations that the body is taking in to be able to slow down and notice, okay, like was that weird tingly feeling in my stomach or was it in my throat or was that just a migraine that I just had from yesterday? Or is that just that kind of like paranoia that I always feel because of whatever childhood trauma I've had about ABC thing. So I think we all have those, those things. Right. And I think discerning what is a spiritual Message versus what comes from that kind of unhealed part of our psyche is also a wildly important thing for anyone who is studying this kind of energetic, magical stuff to do. And I think sometimes when we do focus a lot on the body, which I 100% do, then that kind of becomes something that rears its like ugly head to be really dealt with. Mm. I think a lot of time people will use spirituality and magic and intuition. As a way to make excuses for what is really just anxiety or trauma or paranoia, but it's not actually intuition at all whatsoever. It's something else. And so I think having that skill set to slow down and really parse apart, like what exactly is going on energetically is just a huge thing. And I think when we actually dive into the body, it's it's an opportunity to, to go deep about all that stuff, as opposed to just like, you know, bypassing. Because it's difficult, it's not fun to admit that, like, oh, what I thought was intuition was actually just my own weird neurotic brain being crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: true. Thank you. So, Sabrina, you have a new book that's uh,
1: I do. Out.
0: Um, we haven't read it yet, but um, I should
1: send it to you guys.
0: I really would love to hear a little bit about it. It's called Curse and Cure. You self published it, and it looks amazing. And
1: Thank you so much. Just,
0: let us know a little bit more about it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to send you guys copies actually. So remind me Thank to do you. that later. But <laughs> um oh my god, of course. It's the least I could do. So, it's kind of the witchcraft book I always wanted to write. Like if witch body was like my manifesto for what witchcraft is, this is like the how to kind of the, the beginning of a how to, obviously like one book could never be a complete how to. But what I love about this book is it's completely non-denominational. And so As I've talked about before in this chat like I don't want Sabrina clones so it wasn't like here's how I set up my altar and here's how my rituals are structured like there is literally not really any of that in the book at all it's much more about creating a space of reflection and questions for people to find out who they are and therefore what can their magic look like based on kind of that starting point so there's a lot about culture, like a lot about background, a lot about family, blood ancestry, like adoption, like mixed mixed background type of stuff. Like tackling the questions of appropriation, eclecticism, like what does that all mean? Like how to navigate that? Cuz I feel like a lot of books that do try to approach that stuff, they do it in this very kind of like heavy-handed Black and white type of way, where in reality, none of us are really black and white. Like most people have a very complicated, not very straightforward background or life story. Like most, I would say that's most people, to be honest. And I do think that that is often left out of the conversation of what magic is and can be. Anyway, that's one part of the book. But one through line is that I really want to encourage people to make the practice their own. And to do that in, again, a non-nominational way is kind of how I'm teaching it, so that it can be easily applied. The techniques I'm talking about can be easily applied to whatever it is they happen to believe. And of course, there's a chapter on spiritual beings who might they want to collaborate with, and that I talk about everything from like ancestors to community-based ancestors. So maybe they don't want to work with their own family ancestors, but they maybe they're part of the queer or trans community. Maybe they would rather spiritually work with some of those deceased like trans ancestors that hold a very sacred space in that community like i think that's completely valid and that's not something that is talked about in a lot of spaces so let's make space for that or if someone's an artist maybe they want to call upon their favorite artist for that guidance like why not and so i open up a lot of those conversations in the book but i don't really give any answers other than here's a whole bunch of stuff that we can think about um in terms of how to approach the practice um what else i want to say about the book there's a lot of energy work stuff in it uh that for me is like the foundation of everything i talk about magical timing i talk about ritual like it really just is like the beginning to a 101 that everyone has always been asking me to write but i very intentionally like don't talk too much about like what exactly is it that i personally do because for me it's like kind of it's not completely irrelevant, but it kind of is irrelevant because ultimately people's practice is not going to look like mine. And I think that's totally okay. Um, I do have a few sample rituals near the end. Because I know some people really want to like something to grasp onto as like a, a framework, a baseline. So that is kind of there near the end. Um, but in that section, I also complicate like what even is a ritual. Mm. Like there's two solo rituals that I give. One of them is literally going for coffee every morning, and the other one is like some self-soothing via breathing mm. like to me that is a shift of consciousness at will is it not so it's that simple stuff um there's all what are, what are the other there's some group rituals one of them is like cleansing a park after sexual assaults happened there like a group ritual for the community to reclaim that park wow. inspired by like a real situation where i live like mm. back years ago and so there's just a lot in it. I'm trying to think what else I want to say about it. One of the chapters that really is was important to me to include was connecting with humans. So I talk a lot about connecting with spiritual beings, obviously, but also like humans are messy. <laughs> Wherever there's human beings coming together, there's probably going to be conflict. There's probably going to be drama, and that's something that a lot of people. Don't address or don't want to talk about, Mm. you know, the the desperation to belong, Mm. the truth that some spiritual groups are kind of culty, yes. And what are some things to look for, um, in terms of like the self-assessment? Like, am I looking to get involved in a spiritual group for the right reasons, or am I just looking for a new family and a new parent to tell me what to do? Mm. I think that is the case for a lot of people. So I think bringing that into the conversation, the self-reflection is really important. Like some of the questions I also put in the book are like, are you putting your spiritual teacher on a pedestal? Why are you doing that? Are they doing that? Or are you doing that? And I think that's something a lot of people don't want to really think about. Um, I also talk about spiritual leadership and how it's kind of weird because I ended up here somewhat by accident. But there's this idea of transference uh, that happens in a few different careers, teachers, leaders, and therapists. And what I do is kind of a weird mix of all of the three, even though I'm like not accredited in any of that. (laughs) I'm not a therapist, just for the record. But there is like that kind of supportive element of spiritual teaching, like where people are kind of going to you for similar reasons. And so there is this interesting kind of psychological thing that some students might do unintentionally that I think a lot of unethical leaders are going to exploit. Mm. And so I talk about that. In the book and like we see that with like nexium and like some of these weird like we see that with like wild wild country with the osho situation like that was a whole weird thing and so i think when we're talking about spirituality and thinking about solo practice versus group practice i definitely don't think all groups are like evil no way of course there's some amazing spiritual groups but and i wanted to make sure that i was talking about some of these complicated psychological aspects of engaging spiritually with groups and just giving some newbies, especially like the tools to ask themselves those self-reflection questions of, okay, what do I really want to get out of this? What am I bringing to this situation? Am I maybe projecting because I want to not feel my own power? Am I giving my power to a leader because I don't want to deal with that myself? Mm -hmm. I think some people are. And so bringing a lot of that into the foreground and just leaving a lot of people who will read the book with those types of questions that they can at least reflect on. And even if they end up starting a group, joining a group, whatever it happens to be, at least they've kind of thought about these interpersonal dynamics maybe more than they otherwise would. I think sometimes people say like joining a spiritual group is always going to be good. I don't think so (laughs) i know you guys don't argue that at all but i do see people arguing that for sure like oh it's belonging it's beautiful it's family and it's like sometimes yes but also sometimes no and i think Mm -hmm. the more tools i can give to especially newer practitioners uh who are grappling with all those questions the better because i really hadn't seen a ton of people in my space anyway talking about that in like a very explicit way i just think it's important i think sometimes like the witchy pagan community especially can be a bit too permissive Mm. about a lot of things or like sometimes too open-minded and like the phrase that i use in the book is like don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out of your ears like let's you know like temper that a little bit
0: (laughs) yeah thank you that sounds amazing i'm actually very much looking forward to reading Mm -hmm. it so
1: it's very different from which bodies it's very much more like okay here's like the nitty-gritty here's how to do this stuff here's how this works so it's a bit less like philosophical poetic manifesto it's a little bit more kind of concrete i suppose but i felt like i just needed to at least write something as everyone was asking me how do i do this how do i do yeah. that like there's never any book that i would like the one book that i would want to recommend that would impart all of my ideas so i'm like i just have to write it i guess so for sure oh, <laughs>
0: And you're a great writer, so.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. That's so generous. I do my best. I really appreciate that. So thank you so much.
2: Where can people go online, I guess, to check out your books, your artwork, and your courses on magic and tarot readings? Where is kind of the best place where people can find you online?
1: Thank you for that question. Um, So my website is just my name. So it's sabrinamscott.com. My Instagram is Scott. Uh, my website will have all the course information as well as tarot reading information. So I do have clients from around the world. So if people are not in Toronto, that's totally cool. But if people are, I am starting to do in-person readings again, which has been a blast to kind of nice. go back from the pandemic 100% virtual vibe. So that's been really fun. Um, so my both my books are on Amazon. Um, which body will definitely be in more stores than Curse and Cure. So Chris and Care, the best way to just get it is on Amazon as it is self-published through Amazon, which I think is amazing. I go, I know this is not a publishing podcast, but since I've been with a variety of different publishers, like Witch Body is now with Wiser, Chris and Career was originally with a big five, who I will not name. And I did self-pub Body* before it got picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's I've kind of been through it all, done it all, but the Amazon self-pub, I think, is like a revolutionary game-changing situation so if anyone's listening to this and you're a spiritual witchy magical writer and thinking of getting your book out like I would really recommend at least seriously thinking about self pubbing
0: yeah I 100% agree I think the way they do it you know it just makes it so easy
1: yeah I agree it's I think it's revolutionary completely and it's it's also very good for artists like I get way more money uh, per book through doing it that way than I would yes. with a traditional publisher so that's another cool thing. So if people are not too sure about supporting Amazon, please do it because you're actually also supporting independent writers and artists like myself and many others. Um Instagram, I'll spend a lot of time on Instagram. So Instagram Sabrina M. Scott and I'm always available on email as well. Sabrina draws at gmail.com. I love hearing from people. I actually do reply to stuff. So <laughs> awesome. it's always fun to chat.
0: Well Sabrina, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure and an honor to talk with you. It's i've learned a lot and uh i've tremendously enjoyed this interview so thank you
1: this has been an absolute blast thank you both so much for having me i've been such a fan of the podcast for literally years so it's just feels very amazing to finally be here sharing space with you guys you are both amazing so thank you from the bottom of my heart for having me on
0: In the second half of our interview, available to members at chamberofreflection.com and our Patreon, Sabrina Scott continues the conversation as we delve even more deeply into magic, devotion, prayer, and practical steps to improve our spiritual practices. Join us for that compelling conversation. And please remember that we're in the midst of our Meditations on the Tarot Study Circle that is open to all Chamber of Reflection paid members. In late November, we're meeting to discuss the Wheel of Fortune, and you should join us. And again, I'd like to remind you that although you're able to listen to this podcast at no charge, it costs time and money to create We ask you to support our efforts and the creation of future podcasts by joining the membership section at chamberofreflection.com or subscribing via Patreon at patreon.com slash personality. As always, if you're already supporting the show or have done so in the past, my heartfelt thanks, and I salute you.